aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Man, what a good day to be together. If you have your Bible, um, you can open to the book of Mark. We'll be in Mark uh, through uh, Easter Sunday, and so you will know what, what's going on this week. Um, we'll prepare for, for all that's coming and, and where we're going. Um, I, I do want to share something with you because my sermon series is going to be interrupted by a, a little bit next week. Our deacons have asked me politely to interrupt my sermon they haven't asked me not to preach. They just asked me to interrupt my series. Um, our name change team has been faithfully working and praying for nine months. Um, and uh, our deacon body um, has requested after we shared and prayed over it last weekend um, that we do two things. One, that we set a business meeting coming up on the 26th of March after church um, to have a time of a hearing and affirmation and a vote on that uh, recommendation. But they also asked that I wait until next week because there is so much scripture that came into this creation that the story that the Lord led us through, they, they loved being a part of and they didn't want anyone to miss out on that. And so that's gonna be happening next week. And so that will kind of be a one-off sermon, um, but it'll be full of God's word. You'll enjoy that. I know I just, every time I get to talk about God's undergirding of that, it's a big deal. Um, but we'll sandwich it in because this week and then in a few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about two things that really fit underneath this idea that God is unashamed, so therefore we can be unashamed to follow him. And, and what we talked about last week and looking through the words of, of Christ as he called Levi out, if you remember that, as he, he made that invitation through as he healed the paralytic who the friends dropped in chapter 2 through the roof. We, we, we learned that Jesus was unashamed to open the door for us. And so we should be unashamed to seek him, trust and trust him because we need him. And that under, undergirds these next two weeks. We're going to be talking today about fasting and in a couple of weeks about Sabbath. And both of those things are things that feel like they lose a little emphasis. Maybe they become a little bit more translucent over time. They haven't gone away, but the, the rhythm of how we look at those things, it seems like it has gotten meshed and meshed more and more. But what I want you to know is those two things in, in my eyes, as I look at Scripture specifically, they get our hearts turns towards eternity the more that we honor god on the sabbath the more our heart anticipates a day where rest is every day the, the more that we honor god and we're not ashamed to fast before him and to follow him in fasting i, I think our thirst and our hunger builds for what god will do and and we're going to answer some questions today and walk through that but scripture can be a little confusing. And, and I don't think that's um, completely out of, of context. Isaiah chapter 55 tells us that God's ways are higher than ours, right? If God's ways are higher than ours, then, then confusion can often be the way because we don't know it all. We don't understand everything that, that God has said. We need his spirit to guide us. In fact, if we look all the way back to the Garden of Eden, even a perfect Adam and Eve not we're not going to go back to the garden eternity is better than the garden but but going back to the garden what does the enemy say hey if you'll eat of that tree you'll become like God they they wanted to be like God and the enemy and sin twisted that and and 
And it's something that we can see in very clear examples, but in our sin, we may see it in others, but not in ourselves. Or maybe outside of Christ, we don't think what we're doing is sin, and we think right is wrong and wrong is right. I was reading an article uh, this week uh, about a, a USA powerlifting. I'm not into power. I know that's hard to believe, but I'm not into powerlifting a whole lot. Um, but a judge uh, up, up in the Midwest uh, just passed down a decision towards USA powerlifting um, that allows um, someone who identifies as transgender, a boy who, who feels that, that they identify as a girl, to compete against women in powerlifting uh, who were born biological women. And, and the judge's ruling, it was, so, it was so cleanly connected to the confusion that we're talking about. I want to read to you just a, a sentence of what it says because I was, I was surprised. It says, the judge says, when he ruled in favor of um, making, uh, allowing uh, someone who identified that way competing against women, said the harm is in making a person pretend to be something different. The implicit message being that who they are is less than. And when I read that ruling, my heart broke. I, I don't know that I got angry. My heart broke because here is a judge saying that what God has done is insufficient. And what we should do is we should trust ourselves over what the creator of the universe has done. And if we don't, in his opinion, it's cruel because they're, we're forcing, forcing them to pretend that they are fearfully and wonderfully made by the God of the universe. And, and I just thought, Lord, that's the way that sin creeps in. It makes us think that upside down is right side up. We live in a culture where there's 101 ways that you can improve yourself that are outside of God's honoring. 101 ways. I mean, I don't know how many things there are to do to our bodies and to, to conform or to do whatnot, but the, the world thrives on this. Our advertising system thrives on this. And what I really think is, what sin does is it twists this idea that you don't understand God fully, and so let us help you through our fallenness. And I started reading some passages of scriptures, and I thought about how the world and how our sin could twist them, because scripture needs the Spirit, and that's why we need to be unashamed to follow God. Genesis chapter 1, 26, the Bible says, we are made in the image of God. Psalm 130 says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, yet... Matthew 16, 24 says, you must deny yourself and take up the cross and follow Jesus. I mean, if, if you're just looking at that on the surface, that seems like it doesn't connect. Like the, if you ever put together a puzzle and the pieces don't fit just right, how, how can I be made in the image of God and fearfully and wonderfully made, yet I need to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him? How can I accept who I am and deny myself at the same time? If we don't have the scripture, if we don't have the Lord, and we do as we lean back into what we talked about in Romans 1 through 5, how God made himself knowable to us and how we in sin drifted from God. And that drifting caused confusion. It caused us to abandon him. And it took us to a place where our sin says, now you know the real truth. It's just the lie of the garden you're like God. 
But the reality is you're so far from God because sin takes us that far away. If, if sin were to twist that and to say, listen, God's word is imperfect, God isn't. The way that people have talked about God's word is insufficient. And so let me tell you what you should believe. You need to seek your own treasure and your own pleasure. And so when it says you are made in the image of God, what it really means is you're just made like God. You have the, the, the free will and the authority to do anything you want. And God's happy that you're becoming more like him because you're making all of these decisions to do what you want to do. And one day he'll probably be proud of you for improving upon what he started. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a true statement. But you need a little fixing, a little song in Frozen, so he's a bit of a fixer-upper. The world would say, you just need a little fixing up and people have told you one thing, but what you see doesn't match what's going on, on the inside. And so make them line up. Don't deny yourself. What a selfish, oppressive thought. A God who really loves you wouldn't ask you to deny yourself in order to follow him. The Bible's confusing, so let me clear it up for you. What I want you to know is that interpretation of scripture, it makes no sense. But it also can oddly, in a sinful place, clear things up. See, because when the Bible says that you are made in God image, God's image, it doesn't mean God made a photocopy of himself and, and he took a sprig of him and planted it in the ground and he's growing new gods all over the place. You are not a God. You will never be a God. When you die, you won't become a God or a goddess. That's not how it works. There is one God. His name is Yahweh, Jehovah. But you are made in his image because you are special and unique. And because of that, you have been made fearfully and wonderfully. But sin in your drift has marred that from the inside out. So don't make your outside match the inside. Deny the sin that has drifted you away from God. And let the Lord make something new inside. And that will be seen on the outside. And that can only be done by nailing your sin to the cross of Christ and denying yourself because you've drifted and follow him. You see, scripture is clear by the spirit. The Holy Spirit of the living God tells you this. In Christ Jesus, you are not perfected yet, but you are being made perfect you are saved fully and completely. The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are rescued and you begin becoming who you will be for all eternity, which will end when you are glorified in an eternity with Jesus Christ. And, and that whole journey, that whole picture of what God is saying is don't be ashamed of who he is because he wasn't ashamed to make you in his image, to make you in a fearful and wonderful way. And he wasn't ashamed when you drifted in your sin to say, I will take you back. Just deny yourself and follow me.
You see, when you and I find ourselves before the Lord, it doesn't mean that preachers and teachers are not important. I believe wholeheartedly preachers and teachers are vitally important. But I also know that God doesn't desire you and I to always drink on milk, but he desires for you and I to digest the hearty things of him. Don't you dare stay at the child's table eating chicken nuggets when God has saved a a place for you eating steak at the adult table. You follow me? If you would rather do that, we'll talk after church. That's inappropriate, right? We don't wanna be a child forever. And I would tell you that fasting is one of the ways that we grow closer to God, that we practice coming before him and and drawing near to him. And and I would say that because scripture makes it clear. And so we're gonna walk through that and then we're gonna walk through this unusual conversation in Mark chapter two about fasting between Jesus and the Pharisees. A couple of notes I want you to know. First of all, the word fasting just literally means the one who is empty, right? The one who is empty. So there's a reason that fasting often has to do with food, right? Who knows when they're empty? Who knows when your child is hangry? They're empty, right? You wanna wanna fill that up. You wanna stop that from going on. What fasting literally means is the one who is empty. The reason why that word is tied into scripture into our walk with Christ might be likened to what John the Baptist said in John chapter three, that he might increase, there might be more of him and there might be less of me, right? Because the more of Jesus, the more of God, the bigger that he has made in my life, it's this huge reality. Uh, God is making me new. What I have destroyed, he is perfecting. Fasting is, is emptying yourself of something, but it's done in a time of intentional seeking of the Lord. It's denying yourself because you want to seek him. Now, before we get into the scripture, I want you to know this. You don't fast from sin, okay? That's not fasting. We don't, you don't say oh, I'm fasting from, from pornography or adultery or drunkenness or greed. That's not fasting, that's sin. You repent of that. You follow me? We take up our cross daily and our turn our back on that. We, we don't fast from such things. In fact, what I love about fasting throughout scripture is we fast from the things that are good, that God has given us to know his pleasure, to know his, his delight and his joy. And, and so when we fast from something that is good in order to draw near to the one who is better, what we're saying is all I have is filthy rags. Even the best of the best, you're better. And that's why we fast from, from good things. Food is the primary example through scripture. When we give up food for a season, scripture is really clear. We don't announce it and herald it. When we fast, you clean yourself up because it's not about impressing others or showing people that you're holy. It's about Jesus, only Jesus. But there's also another fast, and I don't want to skip over it because it's, it's important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4 and 5, it says a husband and wife can fast from intimacy together. I want to put some clarity on that. One, I am a husband and God made you to be intimate together as a couple and it is good. What scripture says is when you fast from physical intimacy as a couple, there are parameters. 
One, you both have to agree on the fast. If one of you says, I'm fasting from that for the next six years, <laughs> that's called manipulation. That is not fasting. And men, I wrote it in my notes. Don't you dare abuse that thought. Because Christ told you to love your bride like Christ loved the church. And so make sure that you don't sin by not honoring your partner and your spouse. Christy went to a conference years ago, and I told the story years ago here. That's why I don't let Christy go to conferences anymore. She went to conferences with uh, a pastor's wife, and they broke us up. And we went, boys went this way. I thought it was a junior high pastor preparation. We went this way, and she went that way. And we did, I don't even know what we did, ate food and talked about Jesus, I'm sure. I don't know, kumbaya. But <laughs> Christy came back, and I said, how was it? And she said, I don't want to do that again. I said, why not? She said, David, over and over and over, the women talked about how their husbands loved the church more than they loved him and how they were withholding what they valued dearly in order to get their attention. I thought, Lord, do not let me dishonor my wife by neglecting her and my responsibilities. And Lord, don't ever make her feel like she needs to take something into her own hands instead of following your, your model, your plan. And I, I give that importance because the world has marred intimacy. It's made it nothing to generation. Just about you, your body feels good, yada, yada, and to others it's very different. But if you fast from intimacy with your spouse, it is unbiblical to do it out of agreement with one another for a period of time. Are we on the same page? Because fasting is giving up something good to draw near to the one who is better. And that's where the story, that's the background understanding of Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. If you have your Bible, let's read it together. This is what Scripture says. Uh, directly, Jesus has a conversation. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, that's Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of untrunk clock on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and from the new, from the old. And the worst tear is made. And no one puts wine, new wine, into an old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. As we walk into this, this is maybe an unusual story to think of fasting because the whole story talks about how Jesus and his disciples aren't fasting while everybody else is. And I think it's a perfect way to clear up not only is fasting good, but it's only good done under the rule and the hand of following hard after the Lord. Being unashamed to make it about him instead of being bold enough to let everybody else know how holy you are. 
That's the context of this. If you look in verse, in verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. I mean, this, this is like the Democrats and Republicans agreeing on morning routines. You follow me? Like, this is a minor miracle that this is going on. Like, how can all, if all of them are doing the same thing and you are not, right? Then something must be wrong with you. That, that's what the Pharisees are implying. Why, why do all of them have to do that, but you don't have to do that? I think this is important. Should we be ashamed to fast or not to fast? Should you be shamed into fasting or should your pride keep you from fasting? Is fasting biblical? Yes, Jesus did it. Matthew chapter four, he was tempted in the desert and he fasted for 40 days. So we know that fasting is holy because God gave it to us. We see it practiced by Jesus Christ in the desert before he began his worldly ministry. So why is it important and why is the meaning different for disciples of Christ here and everybody else? I really think that's where this next stuff starts to go into. Because if everybody else is doing it, it must be right. Popular opinion is always correct. Amen? No. Jesus said to them in verse 19, and Jesus said, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. I think what Jesus starts to do, before I unpack what he points to, I want to unpack what he's doing. What he's saying is the definition that I'm giving you is obviously different than what you've created. That's really what he's doing. He's not saying I'm going to pretend to give you what you in your head. I'm not, I'm not going to unpack your wrongness i'm just going to tell you what's right right um there's a game and, and we we love this idea there's a game called balderdash you ever play that game back in the 90s or whatever what a great game two people get a word and they have to make up a definition and it really doesn't matter a ton if the definition is right you just have to convince people to believe your definition is right or is the best of the two definitions because right doesn't matter as long as you score the points that's what's going on with fasting it's not important that you know why you fast you just need to fast the more you fast the holier you'll become you don't need to know the truth. You just need to follow the crowd. And if the crowd is a word or following a word that's in the Bible somewhere and fasting's all throughout it, then it can't be bad. It must always be good. I think this is where Jesus would say, balderdash. You see, fasting by itself, what Jesus is saying, has no moral value has no moral if if you want to lose some weight it may have some physical value but fasting without the banner of the truth of the gospel the truth of the lord knowing the purpose of it has no moral value so if you want to fast for the next three months you go ahead and have fun with it i am not going to think you're more holy and you shouldn't think that about me either because the action apart from the lord that's not where it's at 
And so Jesus says, let me tell you what fasting is really all about. I want you to look at the repeated word in verse 19 and 20. Verse 19. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Guess what fasting is about? The bridegroom. He, he is the, the, the teeter-totter. He's the, he's the middle, the pendulum. It's all balancing on him. So if you are fasting and your fasting is, is for any other reason than proximity to the bridegroom, which is Jesus Christ, then you're fasting the wrong way for the wrong purpose and it has no spiritual or moral value because it's about the bridegroom. I, I thought about this. Who is fasting? We are, and we'll talk about that picture. Who are we trying to get near to? The bridegroom. What I love about the Lord is he hasn't been shy about wanting you and I to draw near to him. As I was listening to, to Eric talk about the nearness to God. If I were to give you that picture, what I would say is the Lord, who is greater than us, who is more and, and wonderful than we are, who we can't even know fully right now, has dropped rope lines to us. And, and those rope lines, we should be unashamed to climb. We should be unashamed to submit ourselves and say, I want to be as near to you as I can be, as often as I can be. It's not a tug of war. God hasn't given you fasting to show him how holy you are, so he will pick you. God hasn't given you spiritual disciplines so that you can dig your feet in the sand and show all of your friends how God is drawing near to you. Fasting is about you submitting, don't care who's looking, being unashamed and drawing near to the bridegroom. And this is what Jesus says. He says, why aren't my disciples fasting right now? Because the bridegroom, I am right here. How could they be miserable? How could they not celebrate that reality? We're planning a, a wedding in our house. I know everybody's looking. This is my future son-in-law to my right here. He's a good guy. And we're talking about food, praise Jesus. On the day that that wedding occurs, I'm going to be eating and rejoicing and smiling. I will not be fasting because I will be celebrating a covenant marriage that was ordained and prepared and blessed by the Savior as a picture of what I have to wait when I see him face to face. I mean, if I'm in the corner crying, I mean, I might, but for totally different reasons. <laughs> if I'm crying, it's it'll be because I'm overwhelmed with the goodness There'll be celebratory tears, not tears of mourning. How could you mourn at a wedding? Jesus says, how could they fast? I'm right here. I'm right here. He says, but don't worry, there will be a time when they will fast. In verse 20, the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away. 
Jesus says he was taken away by his own fruition and by the Father's plan. He tells them why. He says, because I go to prepare a place for you, but don't worry, I will return. And in that in-between time, what Jesus says is, when I go, even with the Spirit who will come as the comforter, isn't that interesting? As the comforter, because we know something better is out there that we aren't to yet. And the guide, then they will fast. Not all the time, not every second of the day, but then they will because I won't be right here because fasting is about drawing near to submission and through submission to the bridegroom. It's not about a beauty contest to make God favor you or pick you. In fact, it said in the context of verse 17 in chapter two, Jesus says, I, I want you to know it's not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the question starts to rise up. But if the Lord, the spirit of the living God is always with me, do I fast? What do I do? I will tell you a secret that I have learned through many, many old and wise saints is the closer I draw near to Jesus, the more I long to draw closer and closer and closer. And so if I were to tell you why you fast, it's not only because you are unashamed but it's because you are proud that when there is any distance in your life between you and the bridegroom, that God has made a way to say, empty yourself and focus on me. And I thought, what does that distance look like for a Christian? I, I think if you're seeking direction that the Lord has not provided clarity on, that's distance. Maybe there's a hurt or a healing that's needed in your life. Maybe there's a, a, a struggle in your life and it's causing you to wrestle with the joy that, that Jesus has, has captivated you by with salvation. And that hurt or that struggle or that situation, it, it, it feels like there's a distance. God hasn't moved. That, that's distance. I think that's a reason for a biblical fast. Maybe there's a battle you're in and you can't see the victory or the path the Lord has laid out. You know it's there. You know he's good, but you can't see it. Fasting is just one of those ropes to say, God, can I submit and draw near to you that you might lead me through what David would call in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. That's why we fast. That's why he says, follow me. Verse 21 and 22 wraps up this conversation. Look with me in your Bible. It's, it's wonderful and in context, it's so clear. Jesus says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The old from the new and the worse tear is made. No one puts new wine. <clears throat> into old wineskins 
If he does, the wine will burst out of the skins. They'll burst the skins and the wine will be destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. Here's what scripture says is this. You can't fake it. This is just as clear as Jesus can say. You can't blend God's truth and man's aspirations. They are incompatible. God's truth will rip apart your faulty presumptions and traditions every time. And your aspirations will burst because they are insufficient to hold the goodness and the newness of God. God is not meant to fit into your traditions or ideas about how to draw near. That's why Jesus says, drop it all and follow me. See, when we fast, we fast based on his terms for his purposes because they are good and we should be unashamed of that. We should be unashamed of saying, at the moment, I, I'm not fasting because the Lord just is, I just feel his nearness. And to others to say, I, I am fasting, even though the world looks wonderful to you. Me and the Lord, we need some special time. I need to know his nearness. And you can't fit you can't fit the truth and the beauty of God with your traditions or your ideas. You can't just stack in these truths in a bunch of biblical pictures from other, other, a bunch of other religions and with a, a bunch of other family thoughts. Jesus was unashamed when he fasted for 40 days in the desert and he was unashamed when he didn't need to fast and his disciples didn't need to fast because the bridegroom was right there. Fasting, it is a way that you and I get to snuggle, to draw near to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When you do a wedding, everybody walks towards the preacher but that's just because he's standing at the front of the room. Because when that groom and that bride stand side by side, they don't care who the preacher is or who the attendants are and they're not thinking who's in the crowd because there's no separation so Jesus says so not only should you not try to mess up this relationship by bringing your faulty thoughts and your faulty traditions and your superstitions and your, your twisted thinking that sin has caused as you've drift from, drifted from God. In fact, you should be unashamed to draw near to that bridegroom just like a bride and her groom. For new wine 
is for fresh wineskins. Church, Jesus died so that you could be made new. Not so that you could be rinsed off. Not so that your old clothes could be repaired. Not so that your sinful life could simply just be waxed over and protected from here on out. When Jesus Christ died for you, it was so that you could be new. So when you draw near to the bridegroom, when you fast, let it be under his authority, under his word, and under his leading. Because then the new you will know the fullness of the eternal living God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. How good it is that you are the bridegroom. How, how sweet it is that even in this time in between, while you prepare a place for those who love you, for those who have confessed you as Lord and Savior, you have made a way when we are feeling distant from our love. to cut something good out for a season, to turn our eye away from something that you gave us as good so that we could be captivated afresh by the one who is greatest. So Father God, I pray that we would be a people who are unashamed to fast and draw near to you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that when we fast, that that distance will be closed and we may see you just as clearly then in times of celebration and joy and struggle and work. Because you have designed us to draw near and near and near until one day there is no more. There is no room between us. So Father God, we love you. If there is a man or woman or child in this room who does not know that you have made them to draw near to you, but it can only happen if they have been made new through Jesus Christ, this morning would you speak to them? Would you call them near? Lord, if there are those in this room who have been feeling distant and they are yours, today, God, you may be speaking to them, be unashamed to deny yourself of something good so that you can know I'm right here. In the name of Jesus, we pray.